back to start all over? So, hey, my math skills aren't really good, but I heard Janine say that Mary made how many cookies? A thousand cookies. And I heard her say that they have 40 kids signed up. So either she's expecting 960 kids to show up randomly tomorrow morning, or there's a whole bunch of cookies for us, right? Wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. So how many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump? So if you remember in the movie, Forrest Gump quotes his mama. And he says, Mama always said, life is like... Because... Very good. You guys got good memories. So I want you to understand this morning that life... The Christian life, living the Christian life, this journey that we're on for the Lord, is a lot like riding a bicycle. I think it was Einstein, Albert Einstein, who said that life is like riding a bicycle. To move forward, you have to keep balance to keep moving forward. There's a whole sermon in that where I'm not going to go this morning. I think I shared with you in April when I was here that I was getting ready to ride my bicycle across country. And so my goal was to begin on May 13th and ride from Yorktown, Virginia to Florence, Oregon. Ninety days later, I told my wife I'd be home in three months. I've had this idea of this bike ride across country since I was a kid. I've always wanted to ride my bike across country. Anyone else ever got that ambition? Just how to be so cool to get on your bike and go all the way across? No other crazy people in the room. Um, And after I remember, I told you that, and your response was collectively was that I was crazy. And I heard that a lot, Um, and maybe there's some truth to that, I don't know. But about nine years ago, I started talking with a friend of mine who pastored one of our churches in Pennsylvania about riding our bike across country and raising money to drill water wells in Africa for Water for Good. Jim Hawkins here this morning, founder of Water for Good. He came to find out what I was going to say about Water for Good, so I have to be careful. But uh, I had this idea eight or nine years ago, and I think I told you in April that I talked to my elders about this idea, and they wanted to know how long it was going to take, and I told them three months, and they said, you can't be gone that long. And so it sat on the back shelf, and uh, in December, I retired from the church in Alpha Loma so I could do this bike ride and maybe spend a little more time with my grandkids. And so I started on the journey. On May 13th. And some of you have heard the story. Uh, nine days later, I wound up on the side of the road, dehydrated, heat stroke, anemia, taken to emergency room. And my ride was over. Three days later, I was back home in California. And uh, most people were saying, poor Roy. One of my nieces, because I'd given my car to my grandson for the month, she said, poor Trent. So the good news is, I guess that's the bad news. Roy got hauled in the emergency room and he's home and didn't finish his journey. But the good news is, uh, together with my family and friends and people that have come alongside to support me, we've raised together $16,209 
for water wells for Africa. And that is way cool. Our, our theme with Water for Good is that $5 provides clean water for one person for a year. And so when I started this idea, I was talking with one of the, the gals in the development area for Water for Good, and she wanted to know what my goal was. And I said, well, I'd like to think I could raise about $10,000. So let's make the goal bigger because what was that song, Joey? Our God is big and mighty and all that good stuff. Um, so let's see what God wants to do. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe we could get 15. I don't know. But let's see what God wants to do. And she said, well, you know, $5 provides clean water for one person for a year. So why don't we try to raise $5 for each mile you're going to ride? And I said, oh, I like that idea. And then I thought, hmm, uh, how much is that? $21,140. Okay. So I'm still going to raise about $5,000, right, Jim? You're, you're hoping for 5000 more. Anyway, um, so along the way, I learned a lot. And I found constant reminders of parallels between riding my bike across country and living the Christian life. The first thing I want you to understand that I learned about riding my bike across country that's very consistent with the Christian life is that God does not intend you and me to live the Christian life alone, by ourselves, on our own. We need each other. I had people tell me all the time, so who's going with you on your bike ride? I'm going by myself. You're going by yourself. You can't do that. A couple of my wife's friends told her, you know, Jesus sent them out two by two. I had some people volunteer to go with me. I posted online a couple different places, my ride, my calendar. And people kept responding and saying, hey, I'm going to go from Boston to San Diego. Why don't we ride together? And it's like, no, I'm riding from Yorktown to Florence, Oregon. Um, but I was going by myself. And kind of my catch line was, hey, I'm not by myself. Guess who's going with me? Jesus is always the correct answer when a question is asked, okay? So guess who's going with me? Jesus. And so I said that for weeks and months. And one of the things I discovered on my bike ride is how critical it is to have other people alongside. And I find so often, many people in their Christian journey think they can do it on their own. They think they can fly solo. God did not design it that way. In fact, one of my favorite portions of the book of Ecclesiastes says this. Two are better than one. Why? They have a good return for their work. And then he goes on and says, Woe to him who falls and doesn't have someone to lift him up. One of the men in the church at Alta Loma came by himself to church. And I would periodically ask him about his wife and how's Diane doing. And Diane worshipped across the street from our church in the city park. That was her worship. And I don't understand all the dynamics in her life that kind of pushed her away from the church. But she had this idea that she could live the Christian life on her own, by herself. God doesn't intend it that way. Even the Lone Ranger was never alone. The Lone Ranger always had Tonto. And God demonstrated this to me in a number, in a number of ways on my bike ride. Four months, in fact, before I left, the end of January... I was at our district pastor's retreat and was put together with Mark Penfold, one of our retired chaplains, Colonel Mark Penfold. And we spent an hour, hour and a half in my car together. We had been acquaintances. Now we're good friends. 
But I, I knew Mark, had talked to him, and we're thrown in the car together, and we're talking, and I found out my, Mark rides bicycle. He's got a nice bicycle that he rides. And so we started comparing notes about bike riding. So I shared with him about my bike ride across country. And I've been reading this blog a guy wrote. And one of my concerns is this guy said it took him three times to get out of Williamsburg. Now, if you know your geography, Yorktown sits here on the coast at the York River, Chesapeake Bay. And the city right next to Yorktown, when you ride your bike out of Yorktown, is Williamsburg. And this guy said he took three times. And I said, so I'm a little concerned I'm going to get lost. I'm, you know, I, that's kind of one of my anxieties about this ride, getting lost. And he said, well, I can help you with that. And I thought, really? How can you do that? He said, I live in Williamsburg. I said, really? So Mark rode with me the first day. Started in Yorktown with me through Williamsburg, got me on the way. And so God provided a tour better than one kind of guy. My third day riding, I almost ran out of water. I've got three water bottles on my bike, two 24-ounce bottles, one 16-ounce bottle. That's 64 ounces of water. And I thought that was plenty. I figured I could find water along the way. I'd been told I'd find water along the way. That wasn't happening. And I almost ran out of water. And I was praying, Lord, what am I going to do? I need to find water. I'm on these country roads winding around, and it's green. It's beautiful, but there's nothing out there. There's no McDonald's, Carl's Jr., 7-Eleven. There's nothing out there. I saw this house on the corner of an intersection I came to and had a car in the driveway and saw a hose in the front yard. I went up to the door and knocked on the door two or three times and finally heard some noise. And Judy, this elderly woman on her walker, came to the door and I asked her if I could use her hose to get water. No, 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 come in, come in. So she made me go in, gave me water, ice, and uh, two are always better than one, Right? You know, several days later, I think it was my sixth or seventh day, it was raining the whole time. I rode in the rain for three days, at least three of the days. Thunderstorms, temperatures in the 90s, humidity in the 90s. You know, I got on my bicycle yesterday morning at 6.30. It was 82 degrees, but the humidity was 27. Now, how we, did you guys get that monsoonal rain thing that came through for about 20 minutes down here? Man, up at my house and up by the foothills, we got about 20 minutes of a monsoonal downpour. I don't know what happened to that 27% humidity, but it was gone. And so I was, because I was riding in the rain, I had planned to camp, but because I was riding in the rain, I was trying to find motels I could stay at, so I didn't have to set up a tent in the rain and all that. And so I called ahead to where I thought I could be. Uh, beautiful downtown Afton on top of the Blue Ridge Parkway, one of the most beautiful places in Virginia. And I called up there to make a reservation. And she said, well, you know, we don't take reservations. It's first come, first served. Okay, well, I'll see, see what works out. And she said, be very careful when you come up here because the fog is very dense. How many of you like driving in the fog? I, my first accident as a 16-year-old driver was in the fog. Rear-ended someone. And so right, driving in the fog is not fun. Well, imagine being on a bicycle in the fog on a narrow, winding, two-lane mountain road with cars coming behind you in the fog. That's, and so I'm praying all day, Lord, you've got to do something about this fog. You've got to lift the fog, lift the fog. Lift. That was my prayer all day long. And I'm riding, looking for something to eat. There, again, no McDonald's, no 7-Eleven, nothing. And I see a sign, Chili's Peach Orchard, food. (laughs) 
And I pulled into Chili's Peach Orchard. I got my bike. I'm all dressed up in my bike clothes. I kind of stand out. And everybody who sees me wants to know, where am I going? How long is it going to take? Where did I start? All those same questions over and over again. And so I met Tom. He was asking me all those questions. And we, I, sat, I got a little pulled pork sandwich. And he sat down to talk to me. And I told him about the fog. I was kind of concerned that as I was going up the mountain, I was going to be going through this really dense fog. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I got a light, got a tail light on the back of my bike. And I had this, you've seen those Amish buggy triangles? You know, I had one of those on the back of my bike. Um, and Tom says, well, hey, would you, like, would you like us to take you up to Afton? We just live right uh, down the mountain from Afton a little ways. We can take you up through the fog. And I thought, well, isn't that cheating? So I'm, I'm, I'm weighing the cheating factor versus my life. So my life won out over cheating. And so we put my bike in the back of his pickup truck and up the mountain in, in Afton. And literally, I took a picture of Tom and his wife, Ann, and their daughter, Peggy. And they were standing on this side of his pickup truck, and I was standing just far enough away from them that I could get them in the picture. And I could see nothing beyond the pickup truck behind them. That's how dense the fog was. And so God provided another two or better than one kind of person. When I was in the emergency room, long story short, Christian Beckert, Boygert, walked through the curtain. Of the, some of you know Christian and his wife, were our, Bonnie, were our missionaries in Thailand. And I discovered when Christian walked through the curtain at the emergency room, oh, we have a church 10 minutes from the hospital? Yeah. Anyway, long story short, Christian, I could tell you stories about this bike ride over and over again. Two were always better than one. Christian took me back to his church when I was discharged from the hospital. They have a little apartment for visiting speakers and missionaries. I wasn't offered an apartment here. I don't understand that. But um, <laughs> I've got a classroom. I can throw my sleeping bag in. I slept in churches, believe it or not. Going across in those days I rode, I slept in churches several nights. So the next morning I got up and I thought, I'll go for a walk and kind of see how I'm doing, how I'm feeling. I wasn't doing too good. I got a phone call from a couple, um, Fred and Jane Coning, a couple from our church in Apoloma. And they said, how are you doing this morning? I said, well, I've been better. Yeah, we've been following you on Facebook and we're vacationing in Virginia. And we've been down in Williamsburg, but we're in Lynchburg this morning. We're going to go tour Liberty University. We're about an hour away from you. We're going to come take you out to lunch. So what are the odds in the scheme of things that a couple from the church in Altaloma would be vacationing an hour away from me when I'm recuperating from a day in the hospital? Um, anyway, two are always better than one, and that just came home to me over and over and over again. Find places in your Christian journey to spend time with other people, whether it's a small group whether it's praying together with one other person once a week, find places. Don't try to do this thing on your own. That's not God's plan. And that was just driven home to me. And I, I could t talk for another half hour about people I met and circumstances and, and so on. A second thing that I learned on this journey, which ought to be pretty obvious, is navigational aids are critical to my bike ride across country. I carried all these maps with me. I had 12 maps and I had all these maps, and I 
was able to get directions, where to turn, what street to turn on. Again, I'm on all these country roads. I'm not on highways. And I hadn't read all these maps ahead of time. I was kind of going day by day. And the second day I was looking at my map and it says, turn left at unsigned street. How do you turn left at an unsigned street? So, but I had, I had navigational aids. I had a, a GPS app on my phone. And it showed my path I was supposed to be on, and I was a blue dot. And so I could pull out my phone, I could check and see exactly where I was. If I was on the path, off the path, I got lost three or four times. And I made a left turn instead of a right turn. And I would pull out my phone and go, whoops, I'm going the wrong way. The blue dot's over here. It's supposed to be over there. And so I had these navigational aids that kind of keep me on, on, on track. I think the furthest I went out of my way where I was off the track might have been a mile, mile and a half. And so my navigational aids were critical. Wouldn't it be awesome if God had given us a navigational aid for the Christian life? Someone is supposed to say, he did. He did. He gave us our Bibles. The, the scriptures are our navigational aid. Doesn't it say somewhere, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, something like that? And uh, that's Psalm 119, 105, for those of you who want to go look for it. Um, but there's another passage that, that just came home to me as I was riding my bike and this whole navigational thing going on, trying to stay on track. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all scripture, not some, not most, all scripture is what? Inspired of God and is profitable or beneficial for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man and woman of God might be perfect or mature, adequately equipped for every good work. Well, Paul says that the navigational aid that God has given to you and me is supposed to give us profit. We're supposed to gain from it. Now, I could give you a whole list of profit and benefit that we ought to get from the Scriptures, but Paul includes four right there in that passage. He says it's profitable for teaching or doctrine. I heard someone say teaching, so you have a different translation than mine. That's okay. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's beneficial for four things. The way that I like to illustrate that benefit or those four benefits is this. When you and I hear the word law, God's law, what we hear in our American culture is rules, regulations, do's, and don'ts. That's what law is for us. But for the Hebrews, that word law, the Old Testament word Torah, that word law the idea of that word is a finger pointing the direction to go, the path to walk on. The law was intended to show people the path of life, God's intended path for you and me to walk on. And so when Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed, it's profitable, beneficial for doctrine, what he's saying is it teaches us the path to walk on. 
So when you're walking on the path, that's a good thing. But if you get off the path and you're not on the path that God wants you on, what do you need? Reproof. You need someone or something to say, hey, you're off the path. Get back on the path. That's what my little blue dot did. It screamed at me on my phone. You're off the path. So you have teaching. Here's the path. You have reproof. This is, hey, you're off the path. You're not where you're supposed to be. When you're, when you're now getting reproof, now what do you need? Wild guess. Correction. What's correction do? You've got to get back on the path. Very good. You're, you're tracking. At least somebody's with me this morning. I'm encouraged. And when you're back on the path, what do you need? Continued instruction in righteousness. And so, how critical is it to our successful navigation of the Christian life that God has called us to live? How critical is it to use the navigational tool that He's given to us? How critical? Scale of 1 to 10, how critical? 27. Very critical. I, I discovered that, and that truth was reinforced as I'm making my way across the state of Virginia. Navigational aids are so critical. Something else I learned on my journey is the unexamined life is not worth living. There is a high, high value as we live the Christian life that we examine what's going on in our life. Pay attention to what's going on in our life. Paul says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And so the the picture is you and me running a race in the arena and the cloud of witnesses. And he says, so we're running this race. Let's lay aside the weight that hinders us. What is it that hinders us and slows us down? Lay it aside. He says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Lay aside all this stuff that's slowing you down in the race that God has called us to. Well, I had four of these bags on my bike. I had two more on the front. I borrowed the rack, gave it back, so I don't have them with me this morning. So, that bicycle, out of the box, brand new, was 30 pounds. I added fenders, pedals, water bottles, a couple other bags that were hanging here. I figure that bike, the rack that was added, probably added another... Five, six pounds. So I was probably riding that bike with that stuff on it about 35 pounds. Then I added these four panniers. And as I was putting things in the panniers I was going to take, I can't carry food for 90 days. So I only carry two meals, kind of backup emergency meals, trying to narrow things down into those four bags. And I would get them on a scale and weigh them and see how much they were and were they balanced. But I still wound up with 45 pounds of stuff in those bags. So I've got a 35-pound bike with that other stuff added. I've added another 45 pounds to that 30 pounds, and I've got 80 pounds. Good, I need help with the math skills. So you take that 80 pounds, and you take my 190 pounds and park it on top of the bike, and now we're up to 270. And I'm climbing these hills in Virginia over and over and over. 
So before I left, my friend Ed Trenner, you know Ed, he's come and preached here several times. Ed's a lifetime backpacker. He says, well, I'll come and show you what to toss out to save weight. So I took these four bags and I laid them all out on the floor of my garage. And Ed came over and he was looking at my stuff and he says, well, you don't need this because you have that. And if you use this, it'll double for what that'll do. So lose that. And so he was building a pile of stuff that I didn't need. And he, he said, I see these white uh, cotton uh, athletic socks. Are you going to take those? And I said, well, yeah, when I'm off the bike, that's what I wear. You know, shorts, T-shirt, that's what I wear, socks and tennis shoes. He says, are you going to wash those socks? Well, yeah. He says, do you know how long it takes cotton to dry? You need, you need, you know, you should just use your polyester cycling socks. Okay. And he says, um, what about that white cotton underwear? Are you going to take that too? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. You going to wash that underwear? Probably. <laughs> Do you know how long it takes cotton to dry? Okay, Ed. We'll go to Kohl's and buy polyester. He went through all my bags, meticulously sorting out what was necessary, what I didn't need, what was too heavy. Do this instead. We need that kind of ruthless inventory in our Christian lives. What are we carrying around with us that we don't need? There's stuff that's important that has high value. There's stuff that doesn't matter a whole lot. There's stuff that's good, but it's not the best. And there may be stuff that's bad. Paul says, take all that stuff that hinders you and weighs you down. The sin that entangles you, lose that stuff. Now, I'm not a runner, but I have friends that are runners. And I, I envision them in an arena with people watching. You know, they wear those little short, little nylon shorts. And, you know, they, those shorts weigh nothing. I mean, they just strip everything down that they don't need. That's what I was trying to do. And I still wound up with 270 pounds up and down these hills in Virginia, 100 degree, or 90 degrees, 90% humidity. And There's value to taking inventory. I learned the value of keeping a journal. I used to journal years ago, and uh, I would encourage you to give that some thought. That's one of the lessons I learned, the value of journaling. One morning I got up and I was reading through the Psalms, five Psalms every morning while I was writing. So before I wrote, I would open my Bible, read five Psalms. And one morning I was reading the 103rd Psalm. And the 103rd Psalm begins and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and... You know what the next line says? Very good. Forget not all of His benefits. You see, you and I have a memory problem. You don't have to have Alzheimer's or dementia to have a memory problem. We forget all the good stuff that God has done for us. And I've discovered in my life, it doesn't take very long to just kind of forget some of the good stuff God has done. Bless the Lord, all my soul, forget none of his benefits. Bless the Lord, all my soul, forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who rescues your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies, this was the part I really needed to hear. He satisfies your, your, your youth with, with strength. See, satisfies it with strength so that your, your, your strength would be renewed. Your youth would be renewed. That's what I needed right in those hills in Virginia. And so keeping a journal. So I had this little book. 
carried it with me. And I would stop along the way and I'd get off my bike and I'd write down things I was thinking about. I was praying as I was riding. I was trying to sing as I was riding, but it's hard to sing and breathe when you can't breathe. Um, so you have to sing in your head to save breath. That's what I was doing. But just, just have something to kind of keep track of what God was doing. All those stories I shared with you earlier about the two are better than one people, they're all, all recorded in here. Uh, amazing story. My, my, my last thing. Um, one of the things that I discovered that was reinforced for me in my bike ride was the necessity of seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And the promise is what? All these things will be added unto you. And so, I'm by myself, got no one riding with me, I'm making constant decisions. Where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to find food? Where am I going to find water? It became abundantly obvious to me by the second day. There's not water out here everywhere. There's no food out here. It's going to be a surprise when I come around a corner and find a place to buy food. And so I was constantly thinking about this. And I would literally lay awake at night thinking about, where am I going to find food tomorrow? I've only got two meals in my bags. What about water? I've got 64 ounces. That ought to carry me for a while. And so, my wife had asked me to read through um, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. Anyone read that? You ever read that? Uh, Daily devotional. And uh, she reads it every day. And she thought, well, maybe while I was gone, if we did that, we'd have something to kind of compare notes on when I called her every night. And so, I opened that up and Here's J. Oswald Chambers, and he suggests the passage that Tim read for us earlier, Matthew verse, chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. And that passage begins by saying what? Don't worry about what? Food, clothing, or covering, place to sleep. Don't worry about the food and the water. And it's like, what do you mean don't worry? How am I going to find it out there? He says, you know, the Gentiles seek after that stuff. You don't, you don't need to do that. Why not? Because he's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's a, one of my favorite verses, too. He says, if you'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Three times in that passage, he uses the phrase, all these things. Must be important. He says the Gentiles are seeking after those things. But guess what? The Gentiles don't have a heavenly father who takes care of the birds and the lilies. And, 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 and Jesus says, guess what? You're more important than the birds and the lilies. Have you discovered that to be true? Now, if you get on the Internet, on Facebook, you're going to find that there's a lot of people that don't believe that. Because they, they, they've kind of got the idea that their dog and their cat is more valuable than you. And maybe you've seen the bumper sticker that says, save the whales. I've always wanted to say, yeah, collect the whole set. But, you know, save the whales. And, and we ought to be concerned about our environment. We ought to be concerned about endangered species, right? But guess what? God is more concerned about you and me than he is about all of, all of that stuff. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
And so because of that passage, I started praying then, Lord, okay, today as I'm riding and pedaling and trying to breathe up and down these hills, um, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. We're going to pray and we're going to memorize scripture. We're going to quote scripture. I memorized the 103rd Psalm. You know, I'm going to just be focused on, on you, seeking you first, your kingdom. That's what matters the most. You take care of everything else. And he did that. Even just the illustrations I shared of the two are better than one people. You know, I met a random dude one day. I pulled off on the side of the road. I was about out of water. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was resting. And this car pulls up and pulls into the gravel on the side of the railroad tracks that are going by. And he gets out with his big honking camera. And it's like, he must know something I don't know. Because there's nothing here to take pictures of. And he says, yeah, he says... uh, he says, I like to follow trains and take pictures. And I said, so is the train coming by here soon? Yeah, he says, the light's on. It'll be here in the next half hour sometime. Oh, cool. And, and anyway, our conversation, I mentioned I was low in water. And he says, well, you know, if you go up this next big hill, it's all downhill for about two and a half to three miles. And when you get down to the intersection, there's a little convenience store there. Just little stuff like that. God takes care of it. And you know what happened when I went into that convenience store? This is the most amazing thing to me. I went in thinking about water and a bottle of cold Dr. Pepper jumped out of the case. (laughs) Right into my hands. Wow. God, God wants to take care of all the stuff that you're worried about. He wants to take care of the, the financial worries. He wants to take care of your health concerns. He wants you to believe that He cares more for you than He does for the, the sparrow that flies, the lily that grows in the garden. He wants you to believe that and live in the light of that. Because it's true. How do I know it's true? Jesus said it. That's right. There's lots more lessons I've learned. A lot of parallels between riding my bike across country um, but maybe one of these five things that I've mentioned would, would speak to you this morning. Instead of being overwhelmed by five things and maybe you had trouble tracking and missed one of the five, I don't know. Um, but I, I talked about not going it alone. How are you doing in living the Christian life in company with others? Is that a value for you? It's a value for our God. What about the uh, navigational aids? Are you spending time consulting the map and see where the blue dot is every day? How are you doing with that navigational aid that God's given to you? Uh, What about the uh, extra weight that you're hauling around, dragging around that doesn't need to be there? Do you take time to take inventory and evaluate? Lord, help me to see what's going on in my life. Help me understand what I can do without it. What's my priority and just having that kind of a conversation with God. I talked briefly about keeping a journal. I buzz right through that. Uh, that's become a daily discipline for me. And then the last, uh, seeking first his kingdom and letting God take care of the little things. That became my prayer all the time. Lord, you're going to take care of that. That's your job, not mine. I'm going to seek your kingdom. You take care of it. When I left the hospital, I was bummed. I was only nine days into my ride. It's supposed to take me 90 days. And I thought, you know, I can't quit. i got to keep going. And uh, 
My nurse, when I left the ER, Sierra said to me, she got about this close to me, and she says, make a good decision. <laughs> I had uh, a couple of friends telling me, ah, that dehydration thing, that's no big deal. Happens all the time. I know guys that have been in the ER. They got out the next day, got on their bike, and finished going across country. You can do it. Rah, rah, ree. But, you know, God sent me that couple from Alcaloma who just happened to be in northern Virginia, who just happened to be a retired veterinarian with medical training, who just happened to also be anemic like I was. And so he talked to me over my Chuck Norris burger. I want to go back. That was an awesome burger, by the way. Um, he talked to me about anemia and its effect on my body and the fact that, you know, it, it'd be okay to go home. It'd be okay. And they offered to take me four and a half hours back to my son's house in southern Virginia to help me get back home. They were on vacation in Williamsburg, an hour north of my son's house. Now they took me all the way back to Virginia Beach where my son lives and then turned around and continued their vacation. God wants to take care of all the other stuff. The challenge isn't God's willingness to do that, His availability to do that, because our God is big and mighty, Joey, whatever the words of that song was. Um, He's not only willing and able to do all that. The challenge isn't His ability or willingness. The problem is us. Do we really believe that He will do that? Or do we feel like we've got to hang on and make it happen? We need, we need to learn to trust Him just a little bit more, don't we? We really do. Lord, teach us to do that in each of our lives. We are so prone to forgetting what You've done in the past, and we fail to trust You with our present. And I'm grateful for the promises of Scripture, that if we would seek first Your kingdom, Your righteousness, that all these things would be added unto us. And so, Lord, help us to learn the lessons of the bicycle. Help us to learn what you have for each of us this morning. Help us to walk the path that you want us to be on. To serve you, to love you, to honor you each day as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That's our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.